Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. Uh, thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, uh, Brave Church and Valley uh, share a lot of um, similarities. And uh, Pastor Darren was with us when we had a uh, couples retreat back in April. So you guys shared him with us. And uh, a really great life change story is we had a woman that had been getting invited to church for several years, and she happened to come to church for the first time when Pastor Darren was there speaking for me in April. And this gal was in a very, very dark place. She um, had been in many adult films and was just wrapped up into that whole culture and uh, so she came to church that day, not knowing what to expect, not really being a part of a church community. And at the end of service, she accepted Christ. And that day, that same day, she was baptized. And so I thank you for sharing your pastor because God used him to pull another one out of the fire. And so I, I think that is so great. So thank you, Darren, for coming and, and sharing in uh, Vegas. But um, yeah, uh, I've been married 25 years uh, this year, so this is like, what is that, the silver anniversary, and uh, we're excited about that, and I have three kids, one still in high school, two have graduated, I don't know if you guys have that slide, just so that I can show my family off, I don't know, I emailed that late, but they may have not, there they go, yeah, so so that's my beautiful family, uh, my son Josiah, and then of course my wife, and then my daughter Mackenzie, and my other daughter Kylie. And so uh, it's just a strange dynamic because God called us to lead the Las Vegas campus. He gave us an incredible vision for it. Uh, but my family wasn't ready to go to Vegas. So I am actually commuting every weekend to Vegas from Bakersfield. I know I'm crazy, uh, but, but the crazy things you will do when the Lord is in it. And as, as crazy as that is, people ask me all the time because you guys, I mean, I look out the window and I'm like, I see green everywhere in Vegas and even in Bakersfield, all you see is brown. And, and so people are like, how do you drive across the desert? I go, well, I, I feel like Moses. I, I will tell you that. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. But, but when, when God's behind it, it's easy. And when the anointing is there, it's easy. And so that's what I tell people. The anointing is allowing me to do this and allowing me to, to raise my kids uh, with friends that they've grown up with and, and been a part of uh, for all of their life. So I have, a, I have a word for you guys this morning, and I appreciated Pastor Darren having me because this word, I feel, is going to change some of your lives. Some of you are going through some things this morning, this week, maybe even it's been happening for the last month, and God sent you to Brave Church this morning specifically to give you this word. And I know you guys do notes here, and there's, a, there's some notes I believe that you guys were given when you came in. But, but the word is this, finishing is better than starting. Now, I know you have notes, and so you're cheating because you see a Bible verse there. And, and uh, uh, it, it's a prophetic word, I believe, even though this was written back, you know, long time ago. By what most Bible scholars believe was Solomon, who was the king, you know, over Israel after his father David, and he was this man full of all kinds of wisdom. And he says, finishing is better 
than starting. And, and I will echo this because there's a lot of things that I started off on. And then once I started doing it, I realized how hard it was. And then I changed my mind. Ha- have you ever been there? How many of you have projects at home that have been sitting there unfinished for the last 10 years? Come on, somebody. Yes. Now, I, I love the Bay Area. I, I love the, 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 just the, the ambiance up here. It's beautiful. Last summer, all my kids went to summer camp uh, up at Hume Lake. And so I told my wife, I go, we're going to go somewhere together. And we're going to practice what it's going to be like to be empty nesters. And when all the kids are gone, we're, we're going to see what life is like. So, babe, we're going to go on an adventure. And so we went to San Francisco. And I hadn't been up there very much, and so I'm not real familiar with the area. But one of the things that I wanted to do, I'm a planner, and she's like more spontaneous. So I'm like making the itinerary before we go. And I'm like, what fun things can we do in San Francisco? So like we plan this like bike ride across the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and one of the other things that I wanted to do was we grew up kind of watching that show Full House, right? And, and so, so I know that like in the opening scene or like in the, in the one scene where they always show the house, I go, that's an actual house in San Francisco. I, I remembered hearing on the news that, that at one point somebody was taking a picture and John Stamos happened to you know, be in the picture and they didn't notice it. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be crazy if I could take my wife there and hopefully John Stamos isn't there because she might forget who I am. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I planned this trip. And I plan like it, the hotel that we're staying at, it's like two miles from our hotel. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. We're actually going to be able to walk there because, you know, we do a two mile walk just to pray and exercise around our neighborhood in Vegas. And I'm like, this is no problem. Two miles. And so we get, we get, you know, out of the hotel and I, and I, you know, got my, you know, iPhone GPS thing and it's telling me where to walk. And, and so I, I look there on, you know, on the iPhone, it tells you about how long it's going to take you to get to this destination, and it said like 40 minutes, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, one thing I didn't account for, which you guys already are very familiar with, because this is your area, were the hills. I mean, I'm a flat land guy. I'm like, I don't know hills, and so we set out from the hotel, and immediately we start walking up this hill. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is all right. You know, we're kind of getting winded, like right out the gate. Like this is okay. And I'm watching on the GPS. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the, the two miles is going to go down and it's like not going down at all. And we're walking up this hill and, and I, I start, you know, kind of encouraging my wife going, oh, babe, this is like going to be good because you know what comes up must come down. So we're going to get to the top of the hill and we're going to be able to coast down. Well, we get to the, the, the top of the peak of the street. And then what I didn't see was there was another hill. We had to go up another hill. And so she's like, are you sure you want to do this? And, and I go, yeah, man, we got, I got the, the map here. We're going to take pictures and, and everyone's going to be jealous of us on Facebook because we're going to be in front of the full house house. And she's like, okay. So she kept appeasing me and my crazy OCD planning skills. And so we kept walking and I'm telling you, it was 30 minutes and we had barely walked a half a mile. And she's like, babe, I, I love you and I appreciate you trying to, you know, do some fun things with me. But can't we just like get a cab and just go to like Fisherman's Wharf? And I really, you know, I like the show, but I don't need to see the house. And I'm like one of these guys like, no, we planned it. We're going to see this house. And so we, we keep going a little bit more. And now there's bars and all the neighborhood windows and 
homeless people are coming by having conversations with invisible people. And, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I probably should call it off and uh, let's go and do something else. And we hailed down a cab and got in the cab and left. And I, I kind of felt deflated a little bit. But at the same time, I realized that, that sometimes it sounds so much more romantic and it sounds so much more exciting and sexy when like you're planning it out. You're like, I'm going to start this thing off. And then you actually get to doing it. It becomes hard. And a lot of times that's like life. And, you know, people, when they start thinking about getting married, they get excited about the ceremony and, and isn't it going to be great? And we're going to have these people come. We're going to serve this meal. We're going to do this dance. We're going to have a good time. And then comes the marriage. And then, you know, it's, you know, comes the, the, the conflicts. And my, my uh, oldest daughter began dating this boy this year. And, and uh, we started kind of coaching her through this first relationship. It's pretty serious. And she's like, we'll never have an argument. We'll never have a conflict. And I just leaned over to my wife. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember those days. Um, but then the marriage comes in. It's hard, right? Uh, some of you, you know, you're thinking about having kids and it's like, oh, it's so, so neat to think about those little kids. You go into the nursery or you go and you start seeing other people's kids. and You're like, oh, one day, honey, we're going to have our own kids. And then the kids come, right? And then you never sleep again, ever. <laughs> Even when they're adults, you know, I'm sitting there. You know, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to come in anytime now. I'm like, I, I, I have my sleeping patterns have changed ever since kids came into my world. And, and raising kids is, is hard. And thinking about uh, guys that I've known that have started companies and businesses. And when we started planning businesses, and I've been part of, you know, planning stages where we're going to change the world. And then pretty soon, you know, then the employees come and then you start having problems with the employees and then you know things start happening money that you thought was going to come in and investors that you thought were going to be a part of it they bail out on you and pretty soon it's difficult to keep the company running so it's it's fun to start things but it takes a brave spirit to finish what you start that's why ecclesiastes is giving us a word today that finishing is better than starting. Now, thinking about this, I want to go back to King Solomon because King Solomon had an incredible leadership style. Matter of fact, uh, most historians say uh, that that Israel was at its peak, at its prime when he was the king, and and he had. I mean, he started off like a rocket ship. In First Kings chapter four, it talks about that that he was was given this wisdom from God, and it's on your notes there. It says in First. Kings chapter 4, verse 34, men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So this guy was an incredible gifted leader where other leaders from other countries wanted to be around him to just get influence from him. And then we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, like not only was he like an anointed leader, he was an anointed godly man. Like he went in to anoint the temple and it says the spirit of God came over the temple and just smoked out the priests. Like the spirit of God was so strong and so thick in the midst of what King Solomon was doing to anoint the temple that the whole nation was being rocked by the spirit of God. This guy had an amazing powerful start. But you know, the Bible warns us that sometimes 
success can be very, very challenging. I had one guy at the Vegas church, he said, Jim, failure doesn't scare me. What scares me is success. Because when success begins happening with your life, you start letting your guard down a little bit. You're like, hey, I made it. I'm arrived. You know, I'm here. And I think God anticipated this story of Solomon and the success of Solomon. And he writes this in Deuteronomy 17 as a as kind of like a, a challenge and a warning at the same time uh, about the kings. And it says uh, in Deuteronomy 17, it says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back the way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. One thing I, I need to tell you on your notes there, too much of a good thing can actually become a bad thing. Too much of a good thing can actually become a bad thing. We know this because the Lord says when a man finds a wife, he finds a what? He finds a good thing. He finds something that is amazing for his life. But too much of a good thing can actually become a bad thing. One wife, good. Many wives, bad. Right? And it's not even that, that God has a problem even with riches. But what happens when you acquire a lot of riches, the riches end up controlling you rather than you controlling the riches. Not that God has a problem with riches. He just understands the way riches work. So you got to be careful on that. And so what happened was Solomon got off track. God had him on this beautiful start and somehow these things that he allowed to come into his life ended up veering him off course. Have you ever been there? Have you known somebody that has been there, that, that they had this wonderful start, maybe this amazing marriage, maybe this amazing uh, uh, life start, and, and then 10 years have gone by, 15 years have gone by, and, and just their story is one of those nightmarish stories that just breaks your heart to think about or, or to reminisce about. And we know in Ecclesiastes 1, as I said earlier, that most Bible scholars believe that Solomon wrote this. We see a man that had been through many, many heartaches and hardships in his life. He says this in God's Word translation. It says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Look at it. It's all pointless. It's like trying to catch the wind. Now, if you read the whole chapter, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, you're going to want to go home and take an antidepressant. I mean, this guy was... He was bummed out. This guy was just at a bad, dark place in a pit of despair because of these things that had come into his life and have veered him off course. The the reason it's important to finish, and, and I would even add to finish well, is because those that finish well, the Bible gives us a promise. The Bible says if, if you can not only start off strong and, and well, but if you can finish well, there's a promise waiting for you in Galatians, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6 specifically. It starts talking about this law of sowing and reaping. And for years as a pastor, for years as even a, a member of a church, when I would hear this text in Galatians chapter 6, I would always equate it to something negative, almost like a warning, like, hey, don't. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. In other words, don't do bad things because you're going to reap the the consequences of bad behavior. But if you look at this context, 
What Paul is writing here in Galatians is not so much that that this thing is a negative, but he's writing this thing as a positive. Saying, saying, God, if you stay where you're at, and if you keep doing the good things that I've called you to do, there is going to be a harvest of good that is going to come. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, I love how the message reads this. And the message is not an actual translation. Sometimes I like reading it. I heard one pastor say it's like the Bible with blue jeans on. I like that. This is what it says. It says, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. If we don't give up or quit. You know, if the devil can't make you bad, you know what he's going to come in and try to do in your life? He's going to make you try to quit. If he can't make you bad, he'll make you want to quit. Why? Because then you won't get the benefits that God wants to deposit into your life. Because if you continue to do the good things that God has called you to do, there is a harvest coming. Touch three neighbors around you and say, don't quit, your harvest is coming. Tell three people around you and say, don't quit, your harvest is coming. Now, how do I know this works? Well, I did tell you that, you know, I commute from Bakersfield. Bakersfield is kind of known as a farming community. But I'm no farmer. Trust me, all right? I'm no farmer at all. So we buy this house. We get a smoking deal on this house in Bakersfield. And uh, it's a beautiful house. And we're like looking at this house. We love this house. And I look in the backyard. And the, the backyard was landscape. But, but the, the previous owners, like, I don't think ever went in the backyard because gophers, uh, which are prevalent in, in Bakersfield, had found their way into our backyard. Now, what what... I discovered after I looked at all these holes was I think they had an underground theme park in my backyard. I mean, there, there were so many holes and it was just, it was a mess. And they had vegetation, they had these fruit trees that they had planted and these fruit trees were just gone. I mean, they were dried up, there's holes all over. And I knew these gophers had to be going underground living off of the roots of these trees and just having a heyday in the grass and and so when we bought the house, I told Terry, I go, well, just, we'll just never go in the backyard. We'll just close the blinds. We'll lock the door. We'll, we'll just pretend, you know, we don't have a backyard. And, and you know, I, that's not practical. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, how do I fix this? I don't know anything about hunting gophers, you know. I, uh, if you grew up in the 80s, you watched Caddyshack, you know, back in the day with Bill Murray. And it's like, ah, how do you, how do you hunt a gopher? So I did what a lot of you guys do when you try to figure out something these days, just go to YouTube, right? And so I went to YouTube and you're like, how do you get rid of gophers? And, and I got this, you know, gopher contraption and I started putting traps out there. And the first hour, boom, boom, I got two of them. I was like, all right, I'm on to something. So I put the traps back out. The next morning I came out, got two more of these guys. And I did this. I ended up getting 12 gophers out of my backyard. There was an underground theme park there. I mean, they, were, they had a whole village living under there. And so then I, I went in to a nursery and said, how do I get these trees healthy again? They told me to put some nutrients on it. And I, started, I just kept working. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't the first week. It wasn't the second week. It, it took months. I'm talking months of going out there, working on this thing to get it back into shape. And then probably like seven months went by. I'd kind of forgotten about the trees because I got the grass looking well again, no more holes. And my daughter just opens the window. She goes, Dad, she goes, there's something on those trees outside. I go, what? 
Too is there something growing out there. And so I go out there, and lo and behold, on these trees that were pretty much dead, and I was thinking about even uprooting them and get rid of them, were fresh lemons all over the tree. The harvest comes to those who don't give up. The Bible's true. Who wants a lemon? Want a lemon, Samuel? Okay. You know, you know what to do when somebody gives you a lemon? You make some lemonade. That's right, brother. But, I mean, I'm just looking at, at like, I went out there, and I, saw, I, I kept picking these lemons, and I was like, wow, I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to just start over. Meanwhile, those trees were just looking for somebody to come over there and start caring for them and giving them what they needed, and they were ready to produce what they were created to produce. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. He, he's ready for us to let them have our lives. And he says, man, if they just trust me with their life, there are things that I want them to uh, harvest out of their life that will go beyond anything they could ask or imagine. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to produce a harvest of fruit. But in our culture, that's hard, man, because we're living in a culture that it's easy to quit these days, isn't it? You know, in our culture, people today, what do they do? They, they quit their marriages. Marriages right now, culturally, are about a 50% failure rate, give or take maybe a, a few points. Why? Because they get into the marriage and, ah, I don't really care for that person anymore. You know, I married them, they were beautiful, and they smelled good, and now I wake up and they're ugly and they smell bad. <laughs> It's like, mm, I don't know if I'd like to be married to that. And, you know, they quit their jobs. I, I, according to one Bloomberg report from 2016, they surveyed a bunch of working college-educated professionals born after 1982. 66% hope to have a different job five years from now or sooner. That's almost seven out of ten people are saying, I don't want to stay at the same job for longer than five years. The difficulty about that in our generation and in previous generations, like, the longer you stayed at the, the job, the, the more like seniority that you had, and, and you're just not seeing that, that, um, that spirit anymore. And the third thing is, which breaks my heart, and I'm sure it breaks your pastor's heart too, is when people quit the church. Something doesn't go right, or maybe you know, the music's too loud, or you know, maybe the, the sermon didn't you know, float your boat like you wanted it to, and it's like, oh, there's a shinier, newer church down the street, so let's go check that out, and it's, it's tough that we've lost our toughness. I mean, I think about, like, compared to our grandparents that, that went through the Great Depression, they went through two world wars. Everybody worked. I mean, you've seen the pictures in the 40s of these women, right? They were in the factories. Their husbands were off the war, and they're working. They're coming home. They're taking care of kids. There was a spirit over our nation, that said, we will do whatever it takes to see to it that we're victorious in the end. That we will not give up. Now this is where the word relentless comes in. And it's so funny that modern worship songs have this idea that God is relentless. But I'm telling you, the power begins released in your life as a child of God when his relentless spirit finds a relentless spirit in you. A relentless spirit is simply 
to be unyielding, to, to remain uh, strict or determined. That's what it means. And, th- and this is what God wants for all of us. I saw a movie a few years ago speaking about World War II, the story of Louis Zamperini, and the movie was called Unbroken. And, and Louis, if you guys don't know his story, haven't seen the movie, he's a World War II veteran. He survived 47 days on a raft in the Pacific after the bomber that he was a part of crashed into the uh, South Pacific. And then after uh, that, he was captured by the Japanese and, and endured two years in a Japanese prison camp by one of the most notorious Japanese uh, uh, prison camp managers that there was at the time who hated Louis, and he just was in it. And there's a scene in this movie of Unbroken that just, I believe, exemplifies what it means to, to be relentless. Go ahead and watch this clip. Over your head. If he drops it, shoot it.
that clip is so powerful, man. Some of you, that's how you feel right now. You're just like, man, how much longer can I hold this board? But see, a relationship with Christ gives us the advantage. Because of his relentless spirit in us, we can then take on that relentless spirit. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says. It says, since we are surrounded by so many examples of faith, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sin that distracts us, and we must run the race that lies ahead of us and never, ever, ever give up. God is looking for relentless men and women to do his will to produce amazing fruit in this life. I, just to summarize here, to give you three takeaway bullet points, PowerPoints, whatever you guys call them around here. Let me just give them to you. Number one, how do you have this relentless spirit? Three ways to help you be relentless. Number one, remind yourself of the vision of why you started in the first place. So important. Remind yourself of the vision of why you started in the first place. A vision is simply seeing the end result of something before you get there. It's picturing what could be and should be for your future. And that, that vision then launches you into a direction. And a lot of times, people just get kind of squirrely because they don't know the vision that they're supposed to have. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That means that Jesus had a picture of you and me of the future, of the relationship that we would have with him that would allow us or that, that would allow him, rather, to endure the pain and the agony that he was going through. See, if you don't forget that picture of what you're moving towards, when you're going through pain, when you're going through a tough spot, you know that, hey, it's for a purpose that is greater than this moment. Number two is come to terms that every good thing will have hard moments. Every good thing will have hard moments. But they're just that. They're moments. And moments pass. And hard moments are replaced by good moments. And good seasons, if you can just endure, uh, uh, John 16, 33, I've told you this, so that, in, that my peace will be with you in the world, you'll have trouble, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. And number three, give God space to encourage you. Give God space to encourage you. First Thessalonians 2, 2 says, yet our God gave us the what? The courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of the great opposition. We need to be filled up with courage, church. You're brave, church, but in order to be brave, you've got to give God the space to deposit that courage inside of you. We see it with Joshua. He set time aside, and it says the Lord spoke to him in Joshua 1.1, and several times in Joshua 1, we read over and over and over again that God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why did he repeat himself? Because he was breathing into Joshua something that he needed so that when the going got tough, Joshua would be able to pick himself back up and be able to keep running the race that God put in front of him. I watched a video, and this is a few years back, by a, a gal that was running the 600-meter uh, race in the Big Ten Championship for the University of Minnesota. Her name was Heather Dornadin. And what makes this race spectacular is that she was favored to win the race, but, but she fell. But what happened after she fell was a defining moment, I believe, not just for her, but for everyone else that feels like they're embarrassed or that they just don't want to get up. Because when you get up, amazing things can happen. Go ahead and watch this clip. 
Heather, when you've, maybe you've fallen, maybe you feel beat up, like somebody pushed you down, and there's something inside of you that's just like, I don't know if I want to get back up, but I hope today, part of the prophetic that has come into this room today is that if you get back up, and you keep running, and you keep doing what God has called you to do, your harvest is coming. If you don't give up, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for what you're doing at Brave Church. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in San Ramon. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in Las Vegas and all over the world. And God, I know that in our culture, that just has lost its toughness, that, Father, you are raising us up to be relentless warriors in the midst of a quitting culture. And God, we need your strength. God, remind us of the vision that you've given us. God, and if people are here living without vision, God, you speak that uh, vision to them prophetically today, this week, this month. God, help them to see that this is only a season. This is only a moment. And this too shall pass. And more than likely, it will be replaced by a great moment if they can just keep running. God, help us to see that our courage doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from you depositing it inside of us. May we give you that space in our devotional times and that worship time. Right now, God, as we respond, God, we give you that space to pour into us the courage to get up and to keep running and to receive the harvest that you want to bring into our souls, into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.